Join Hoda Kotb for a brand new season of her podcast, Making Space. For season five, I am making space to talk to people who are providing a sense of hope and inspiration when life changes course. Uplifting conversations with inspiring individuals like NFL legend Drew Brees, singer-songwriter Ziggy Marley, and today's show co-anchor Savannah Guthrie as you have never heard her before. I found faith more viscerally, not because the bad thing didn't happen, but because it did. I promise you, like me, will leave these conversations with some wisdom for your own journey, empowered and inspired to make space in your own life. New episodes of Making Space with Hoda Kotb are released every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today, we speak with two women who tell stories of hope and transformation that have happened in their lives as they were pursued by God and daily started following Him. From a young age, Lisa Delgado experienced trauma and abuse in her life. As she grew older, she pushed away from her family's strict religious upbringing, but always knew something was missing. Struggling with depression and darkness, Lisa shares a pivotal moment where a friend's kindness and compassion showed her something that would change her life forever. Hello, my name is Lisa Renee Delgado. Um, I was born and raised here in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, my upbringing as a child, um, it was pretty, pretty rough. Um, My mother was a single parent and um, she had four children and we were all uh, separated. Um, We didn't necessarily have our own home um, she had, uh, we had babysitters, kind of like foster parents, uh, temporary, temporary foster parents, um, because we would stay, um, in each home for maybe up to two weeks to a few months at a time. One of my biggest dreams as a child was having our own home and having my, having my mom, um, my mom with us. Um, it was really hard, though, because, like I said, she was uh, a single parent, and um, she didn't have she she didn't have any support. So it was pretty rough. Um, there was a lot of abuse, emotional and physical. And um, and and when she would come, when we would see her, we, you know, I would just think, is this the day? Is this the day we're going to go home with with my mom? But. It didn't happen, and it didn't happen until uh, till I was 12, and that's when we finally got our our own home. My mother was, I, I'll never forget, she was so excited because um, she actually bought her own home, and uh, and we were so happy because, you know, we had our mom back, and, and we had our own home, and, and we, we had our own bedroom, um, you know, we didn't have to share it with anyone, and and we'd have to worry about uh, sleeping with one eye open because someone might come in and and, and molest us. And uh, so, you know, we pretty much lived uh, a life of fear, um, very fearful. In my early years as an adult, um, well, before then, as a teenager, I... Uh, I, I became very rebellious, and uh, my mom remarried, and um, and she endured 
she endured a lot of pain there and and uh, there was abuse there as well and for all of us not just my mom um, and we endured it because you know we st- we had our own home you know and uh, so the pain that was going on inside of our our home um, was nothing compared to being separated again and um, so we endured that and and we didn't talk about it we didn't cry out for help because we were still together and that was the most important is that my siblings and I and 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 my mother would not be separated again but in the meantime I um, as a teenager I became uh, very rebellious and and uh, sexual Um, I had my first child at the age of 15, 16, sorry. Uh, but prior to that, I had attempted to commit suicide twice. And uh, thank God I failed. Um, <clears throat> the second time I attempted suicide, I ended up in a, in a rehab for six months. And, um, and uh, I, I couldn't share what was going on at home in you know group meetings or talking to a counselor being in that rehab though I met I met some pretty amazing people um, I roommated with a, a young girl my age who also attempted to commit suicide and and we became really really good friends and and we kind of helped each other uh, we didn't go to the group meetings uh, we didn't participate in in any of that so uh, we were just tagged as spoiled brats who wanted whatever they wanted we were okay with that so but we did um, we helped each other we talked we uh, we encouraged each other and and so that what could have been bad it, it was actually good I mean they didn't put me in a straight jacket or anything so that's a good thing <laughs> Um, and then in my early adult years, uh, like I said, I had my first child when I was 16. Um, I had a son and, and he, um, so amazing. I mean, I am so proud of my son. Um, but I kind of followed in the footsteps of my mother because when I had my, when I became pregnant, um, his biological father didn't want anything to do with us and um, so there I was a single parent and uh, again like my mother I had to work two jobs to support my son and myself so after a short time I I met uh, a young man who I thought he was my best friend um, there was nothing other than that, I mean, I trusted him. I, I told him, you know, all my secrets, and we were just friends. And and to me, he was my very best friend. And he had uh, talked me into moving into a house with two other guys, and that we would all roommate. And you know, I was, I think, I was eight, seventeen at that time. And um, 
I was really excited because my son was going to have a home and uh, a yard and you know, I, I I had big dreams and and there was a kind of a little hope there for us and so we moved into this house and um I think I was there two nights when my so-called best friend um I I I didn't have a job <clears throat> at that time and and so he gave me a proposition to um to become a prostitute and uh <clears throat> he said that he would uh he would take care of me and um I got up um after the conversation and uh gathered my son and then we walked we walked uh in the middle of the night down uh the street is called Roosevelt and that is a very very dangerous street to be with a 2-year-old baby uh walking <clears throat> and um that was one of the darkest times of my life and uh but that darkness made me realize that i needed to do something i needed to really do something and change for my for myself and my son to give us a better life um i did go back home to my parents um and um i went back to school and i acquired my ged and um i went on to um maricopa skill center and um worked towards uh becoming a secretary and during that time i did have to leave my son with my mom because uh i didn't have a car and i had to take the bus to and from uh school and during the week and then on the weekends i worked as a waitress and so there was there was a short time that my son and i were separated um for a while and you know while i was pursuing that that dream for us which was amazing. <clears throat> I am so grateful that I I went back to school. Later on I I got married and and we had uh two daughters and so he had children as well. And um you know the depression never left me <clears throat> even though things um you know I I made life changes um the fear um was one of the one of the things that kept me paralyzed from really pursuing and and chasing after any dreams that I had um it, it there there was there was like this unfulfillment in my in my heart and I'm 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 not trying to preach I'm just saying it was there was something missing and um but I never knew what it was. I mean, I had a as a child I had a uh, I grew up in a religious house. You know, everybody that I, you know, relatives and friends, they were all very religious and and to the point to where they were always condemning me and um very abusive and and they would tag me and and my name my name was uh basically whore. That's what they would call me as a as a child and so 
Um, I strongly believe that when you tag somebody uh, in a in any kind of a positive or a negative way, that that that's pretty much what's going to happen um, because you you have no self-esteem and and you can't even look at yourself in the mirror because you see the person that they've called that they named you. So I never felt worthy of anything and especially worthy to God. And there was times that people would um, approach me and, and ask me, do you want a personal relationship with Jesus? And, and I would literally cuss them out and then um, throw them out. Now, I didn't want anybody who was religious near me. Uh, because religious, to me at the time, people who were religious were constantly, they were condemning, you know, they made me feel bad, they made me feel dirty, um, I already felt dirty, I didn't need anyone else to, you know, add that extra mud, dirt on me. My marriage did not start off, uh, you know, a fairy tale, it, it, he had two children, to a prior marriage and, and my me I had my son and um, and we both uh, drank a lot um, we loved to party and so you know we made a lot of bad choices bad mistakes uh, parenting my parenting skills uh, I never knew how to be a parent not even when I had my child um, <clears throat> because I didn't really have uh, anyone to model, parent, you know, the proper parenting skills. And then there was a time that we um, that we lost everything. Um, I started a cleaning business, and and so we were both pretty successful. Um, we were making really good money, and uh, we I hired. <clears throat> Uh, quite a few family members to you know in the in my cleaning business and and we were doing really well and um, and then we uh, my husband decided that he wanted to retire <laughs> and come and work with me um, which I was 100% against it and um, you know other things happened within the family and um, we ended up losing everything, um, our house, our vehicles, um, our dignity. I mean, we lost, we lost everything. We lost everybody and we were completely, we were, I was devastated. I felt like a failure in all, every way possible. Uh, I failed my children um, and um, Again, I, I even lost my driver's license, so I became a prisoner in my own home. Um, the only way that I can get out is if someone came to pick me up and take me, which that didn't happen very often. Um, I did have a couple of friends who would literally show up and drag me out of bed because I was so depressed. I, I couldn't even get out of bed. There was a time that I, w I thought about ending my life because, you know, I just... I just felt like, uh, you know, everything was over for me. And um, one day a friend of mine called, and I, I hadn't spoken to her in years. Um, I mean, 
she called and she said she really wanted to come over and visit with me. And, and um, yeah, I had already given my life to Jesus, but I didn't have a relationship with him. Uh, like I said earlier, people would ask me, do you want, would you like to have a relationship with Jesus? And so I never, you know, I never want, I never really, even though I've given my life to him, I, I still did not have a personal relationship with him. I, I didn't know what that looked like. I, <clears throat> I didn't know what that meant. I mean, if it meant getting religious and being on my knees 12 hours a day, that just wasn't going to happen. I mean, you know, I, I just couldn't do, I couldn't be religious. I mean, there's just no way. So this friend of mine called and she said she really wanted to see me if, uh, if she can come over and, and, um, and I said, of course, you know, and, and so I was actually excited because, you know, I haven't talked to her in a while and, and, um, she had just lost her, her daughter. Um, and I kind of thought, you know, it was kind of strange. I mean, for someone who had just lost their, their child, um, you know, I, I don't know what I thought. I just, I just thought it, you know, it would, it was kind of soon. Uh, I, I didn't really know what her intentions were until she showed up and, and she came and, and I had a nice lunch for us and <clears throat> she brought this book to me. Uh, and uh, believe me, I've had, I had a lot of friends bring me books because they knew my mass and they were trying to help me. Um, but this particular person brought me this book, uh, Jesus Calling. And, um, you know, I looked at it. I, I didn't really show much interest in it. But she said, you know, Lisa, she says, I don't know why. She goes, but I was at, um, I was out shopping and I, I seen the book. And she goes, I just felt like I had to buy it. And uh, she goes, I don't know why, you know, I just felt like I had to buy this book. And, and she said, I thought maybe I needed to read it. And so she said, I went ahead and picked up two. And she goes, when I got home, she goes, I just couldn't get you off my mind. I just felt like I had to get this book to you. And uh, yeah, I wasn't one for, um, you know, thinking that way, you know, like God, like the Holy Spirit is trying to nudge you at something because, you know, I didn't believe in any of that. So I kind of looked at her like she was a nut and I said, okay. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know that the Holy Spirit worked out like that, but uh, I, I, you know, I took the book, we talked and, and I laid it on top of all the other books I had on my nightstand and I definitely was planning on tossing it along with all the other books. So I was going to toss it along with the rest. A couple of weeks passed after uh, seeing her and, and, uh, and, you know, my darkness just got darker and there was a lot of problems. Um, uh, I still struggled with depression. Uh, fear was... Uh, paralyzing for me. I was very fearful of making decisions. My husband made all the decisions. Um, I just existed. That's that's all I did. I, I was a mom. I did my mom stuff. 
I was a wife. I did my wife stuff. I, I, I felt like a robot, you know, uh, I washed dishes six times a day <clears throat> until I would snap and literally run away. And like I said, I didn't have a, I, I lost my driver's license. So one day I just ran away and got on the, on the city bus and the bus driver laughed at me because he asked me where I was going. And I said, I don't know. And so I rode the bus all the way to one end of town back home <laughs> and it, just to calm down, you know, cool off. But uh, <clears throat> this one particular night, I, I, I was at the end and uh, we had a gun. Uh, my husband had the gun um, in, in the closet and um, on my side of the bed was the closet and uh and jesus calling was the only book left um i don't know why i didn't toss it i i did toss the, the other books but jesus calling was still there and um i remember i w went into my room and um and i was just gonna <clears throat> because i tried to attempt suicide as a teenager and i took pills i knew those weren't going to work and so you know i wanted to make sure that something was going to work this time so I, uh, I went for the gun. And when I, uh, <clears throat> when I went for the gun, I looked down and seen the, the book, uh, Jesus Calling, and, and I opened it up, and, um, and it was uh, August 31st. And in big, bold letters, like I said, I didn't believe that God, that the Holy Spirit uh, worked in mysterious ways, you know, but in big, bold letters, uh, it said, I am not punishing you. And I just broke. I broke and I cried because my whole life, I felt like God was always punishing me for every single mistake I ever made, for, I just felt like any bad thing, which a lot of bad things happened in my life, I just felt like God was always punishing me. And so nobody could have, uh, nobody could have told me that. Only God could have told me that because uh, only he knew what was in my heart. And, and from that day on, I just, Every single day, I have been reading Jesus Calling, and um, he has, I have a personal relationship with Jesus, and every single day, he helps me walk out of all my fears, you know, and I still have more, and I'm still struggling, you know, I still have, uh, right now, we're in a season of, you know, pain and uh but jesus you know he he helps me and uh and so this is a book i i i read for over 15 years every single day i still read it this was 15 years ago that i began my relationship with jesus and uh and i still to this day wake up every morning and uh I, I read the word and I always go to my, my Jesus calling and, and I have a relationship with him.
that the only way that I can describe my relationship with Jesus, August 31st, Jesus Calling, grow strong in your weakness. Some of my children I've gifted with abundant strength and stamina. Others like you have received the humble gift of frailty. Your fragility is not a punishment, nor does it indicate lack of faith. On the contrary, weak ones like you must live by faith, depending on me to get you through the day. I am developing your ability to trust me, to lean on me, rather than on your own understanding. Your natural preference is to plan out your day, knowing what will happen when. My preference is for you to depend on me continually, trusting me to guide you and strengthen you as needed. This is how you grow strong in your weakness. Amen. He helps me every single day. And um, since then, I've been, um, I've been healed in a lot of ways. I, I still go through, I'm still walking in, in areas of my life where I've had unforgiveness and, and uh, especially forgiving myself. And, and one of the things that I could never, ever receive was love. Um, I could never receive love. I, I, it's just actually been recent, maybe a year, less than a year ago that I actually experienced what love really felt like. And uh, because I, I could never receive it, I, I was so self-condemning and I, could, I didn't think I deserved it. And so God uses people to, to shower that love on you, that unconditional love. You know, in the times that you feel like you don't deserve it, and, and he's still there, he's still loving on you, and you're like, what, I just did this, you know, what, this was awful, Lord, how can you love me, and which, which verse is that, Romans 8, where he says, nothing, nothing can separate you from God's love, I mean, I have done some pretty bad stuff, and um, I've lived in shame most of my life, and and just knowing that that no matter what I what I have done or what I do now or what I'm going to do in the future, God still loves me. Nothing nothing's going to take that from me. I would tell you if if you were thinking of giving up, I, I would please don't please don't don't um, you have no idea what plans God has for you and just because it's dark right now where you're at doesn't mean there's not a light shining because uh, Jesus is the light and, and he does he, he, he's sitting right next to you in, in your dark He even in your dark he's sitting right next to you uh, he's there he's just waiting for you to follow along with Lisa on her faith journey please visit her blog called Day's Journey at lisareneedelgado.com We'll be right back with our second guest, Lisa Whittle, after this brief message from Audible. As a special offering to you, the listeners of the Jesus Calling podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Find your favorite Sarah Young titles, including Jesus Calling and Jesus Always, in an audiobook version, and get it for free by trying audible.com. Check out a small sample of the Jesus Calling audiobook featured at the end of this podcast. 
To download an entire free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Jesus Calling. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash Jesus Calling for your full free audiobook. Now, on to the second half of our show. Our next guest is writer and speaker, Lisa Whittle. The daughter of a pastor, Lisa wasn't interested in a life of ministry until she found herself being pursued by God for that very thing. Lisa has dedicated her life to writing and speaking about the truth of Jesus Christ and shares the joys and challenges of what happens when you let God lead you to the places He would have you go. My name is Lisa Whittle. I'm a um, wife, a mother of three, I'm a writer, a speaker, an author of six books, and uh, believe that Jesus is everything. My husband and I have been married for 22 years. Uh, We've lived predominantly most of our married life in Charlotte, North Carolina, where he's from. He's a native Charlottean. And um, we have three children, two oldest are boys, ages are 19 and 17, so my oldest is in college. That was a sort of a weird launching for us last year. And then my youngest is my daughter, our daughter. She's 15 and she's a freshman. So we're in this kind of mad, crazy stage of raising um, teenagers, young adults. And it's the greatest time of our life in many ways and the wildest and the most mentally taxing. Um, but we're enjoying a lot. We're a tight family of five. And, um, and yeah, then I write and speak and do those things too. I was born in Houston, Texas. Um, I was born into the family of a pastor. So ministry and church life is something that I've known from a very early age. My really, my longest relationship has been with the church. And so that's a kind of a familiar place for me and, and really found a lot of beautiful things there and also found some pain there too. Loved Jesus intimately my whole life, became a believer in my heart when I was six. And um, just then through a, a series of events, my father was a mega church pastor, lost his church when I was a young woman and really um, had to sort through a lot of identity issues, you know, that you know, just created some holes inside of me uh, about, you know, who I was outside of my dad's roles and, you know, how, how the church can hurt us sometimes. And yet we're all flawed humans as a part of that um, institution. And so where God fit in with all of that. And so that was all a part of my journey. I met my husband when I was in seminary in my young 20s, because I was actually going to go to seminary to study um, psychology, marriage and family counseling is what I was going to do. And um, then just somewhere along the way decided I didn't want to sit and listen to people's problems all day. I have a lot of respect for counselors, but I just thought, I don't know if I can do that. And so the full disclosure is that I'm a seminary dropout. You know, I'm, I'm sort of that rebel and I'm sort of that one that I'm a questioner, I'm a skeptic. But the one thing that I've always known innately is that I've always known, even in my running away, that Jesus was everything. Like I just sort of knew he was, he was it. And it was in that heart way. It wasn't like my parents just taught me that and I just received it and never questioned it. I just knew it. Like I knew God was, was it. I knew there was this sort of call on my life. Like, and and when I say that, what I mean is like, you know, just sort of this innate thing that, you know, where, where, where Jesus was drawing me to 
to serve him in um, in a way. Now, I didn't understand at the time that that might involve me having some kind of public ministry of speaking and writing, or I probably would have said, absolutely not. And then subsequently, years as the years went by, I, I did say no on many occasions. But the real catalyst for me writing was my husband lost his job when I had three children under the age of four. It was a lot of me running away, a lot of Jesus pursuing my heart and me saying, he's worth me giving my life to. And from my passion for him, it grew this desire to say, I want to talk to people about what a life with Jesus looks like. And out of that grew this ministry. I think being a reluctant um, server of Jesus, whatever that looks like, you know, is on the other side of that is when you do finally um, surrender, you know, when you do finally say, okay, Jesus, I'll do whatever I feel like you're calling me to do. So for me, after years of being reluctant to step into any type of ministry, after seeing what happened with my own father and family, and just some of the things that we went through, and knowing too much probably about, you know, systems and organizations and how, you know, we can hurt each other a lot when we get off course and don't keep our eyes on Jesus. But it starts becoming about programming and weird things like that. Um, it, the beautiful thing was like, I realized, number one, there was so little to be afraid of and so much beauty uh, of the life of actually following Jesus and doing what he'd equipped me to do all along. And then there's also just this, this sense of purpose and peace of, of, that I found in saying, this is, what, this is what I was born to do. This is what God put me here for. You know, it was interesting because um, my, I, my father went to heaven uh, April the 2nd. And it was, it was a difficult time in my life, certainly. And, you know, my, I've been a daddy's girl my whole life and we, you know, we're very, very close. And so, but I'm also sort of, you know, how we all take on roles in our family. And I, I, I'm kind of in that role in my family, even though I'm the middle child, um, I'm, I'm kind of the strength person in my family. I, I, I've, they would all agree, I'm sure. Um, and maybe it's a self-appointed role in some ways, but also I, I think, you know, it's, it's just kind of the way I, I roll in life, right? So like, I'm that person that, you know, if you're in a crisis, call me because that's when I'm the best. Like I'm on, I'm that person you'll call when you're in the middle of a crisis. But it was interesting because around the time of his funeral, um, I had many, many things to do. I was really kind of in charge of the whole funeral. And that was a role that I wanted because I wanted to do that for my mother because I wanted her to be able to just sort of mourn and, and, and be in, a, in an elevated position that she deserved as the wife of someone who stayed so faithful to my father through ministry all these years. And I wanted her to enjoy the funeral. And I wanted to just take care of the details because I knew my father so well. I wanted to honor him so well. But it was it was a lot. I was also giving part of the eulogy. I was also uh, I was just coordinating many details. And I'll never forget, it was the morning of his funeral. I, I received a text. It was from somebody, and they needed some little small detail. I think it was safety pins, actually. They were like, um, I'm at the church, and I need some safety pins. And I'll be honest with you, at that moment, I was so 
overcome and frustrated. And I was like, are you, I said to myself in my bathroom, are you kidding me? Like I am doing, I'm, I'm giving this eulogy and I've coordinated this whole funeral. Are you kidding me? And I really sensed the Lord speak to my heart. Why do you resent what I have created you to do? He spoke to my heart and it was this, I had created you that other people might draw strength from you. That's your role. That that's literally what I, that's why I've created you now. Not to, that's not to say like there can't be boundaries. That's, that's ridiculous. I'm a big boundary person. So I don't believe in like us just running ourselves ragged. There's a difference. It was a sense of like, Lisa, this is, this is who I've created you to be. It is a person that others can draw strength from. And this is a role that I've created you for. So don't wonder when other people call you for, for things that they need, because this is what I've given you to do. And that gives us a lot of peace and hope and purpose. <laughs> well, I'm grateful for that. <laughs> Sometimes there are things so deep and so difficult. Sometimes it's just normal life. Sometimes it's just the weariness of life that's, that's deep and hard. And sometimes it's, it's people like my friend Angela who bury their teenage son. And, and that, is, that is a pain that I can't fully know. And yet what I can imagine in my em- empathy and in my, in my prayers for her is that we're not going to have the words for that. Five Word Prayers came to be really out of my own frustration over my prayer life because, you know, here I've been in the church my whole life, as, as I've said, and here I, you know, have been a believer in Jesus since I was six years old when I gave him my heart. And, you know, I've heard probably a couple hundred, maybe close to a thousand sermons on prayer in my life, um, read many a book on prayer, but you know, it just goes to show that as long as we travel with Jesus and we're believers, that prayer is still something that a lot of us struggle with and that tends to elude us in some ways that, you know, all of us are on a quest to, a, to deepening that. What I love about five word prayers is that, and what I believe and what I hope and what's been my intent in writing it is that it would not help us, that it would help us pray more, not less. So what it, you know, what I, what I hope is that it will spark something because I have full confidence that if we offer five small words to the Lord, he can take it from there and help us know how to further that. But sometimes we just don't know how to get started. And so this is just a gentle nudge from a sister, from a friend who says, Hey, you might not have the words today, but let me offer you these five quickly. Start with those and see where it goes with the Lord. I got my, I got my first copy of Jesus Calling years and years ago. And I think, I believe that I was, it was gifted to me by a friend, which it's, you know, beautiful, right? Just the simplicity of it, which is so similar to the five word prayers philosophy. Um, You know, we often try to make things so difficult. Uh, And I think it's so, what I love about Jesus Calling is it it speaks um, to our heart. It connects us so directly to Uh, what Jesus is saying to us. And I I think that is important for us to remember the intimacy. That's something that is is powerful, especially in this day and time, uh, to remember our creator and how much he loves us and purposes for us in that intimate way. I gave it to 
my oldest son before he went off to college because I knew that though he he might have great intention, there would be um, it would be hard for him to read a lot of long devotional books and things like that. He was going to be um, going off to college for the first time to play uh, football and uh, he was going to a secular university and I knew that he would just need something a little something every single day and uh, after after he'd been gone for several months he, he sent me an email and told me about how powerful it was for him to read every day something from the Jesus Calling book that it, it just ministered to his heart so deeply and so that means a, a lot to a mama to learn more about Lisa Whittle's book Five Word Prayers where to start when you don't know what to say to God, visit lisawhittle.com. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we visit with Donna Barrett, a woman whose story of faith and tragedy brought her closer to God. You know, all my life, I felt like I was a mistake. And it's come full circle. I'm not a mistake. I am God's handiwork. I am God's masterpiece. And faith comes from knowing and knowing the Word of God. I want people to be healed and to live in the fullest of Christ. Hear more great stories about the impact Jesus Calling is having all over the world. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling podcast on iTunes. We value your reviews and comments so we can reach even more people with the message of Jesus Calling. And if you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.